well, don't know if it's, it's still morning. Good morning. <laughs> um, I'm Pastor Lorraine. To those of you who don't know me, um, I've been here at River of Life for almost thir- well, about 13 years now. And um, I'm excited for what the Lord is doing in and through us as a body. Amen. I am um, named a... The title of this sermon, Redemptive Power, I changed the title about three times, and I give you liberty to change it after you hear it. Um, if you think it, there's a better word to, to fit, um, please share it with me. Um, I was thinking, um, many of you know this, but that means a lot to me because... Um, my beginnings were sparse, you know, and in the world's eyes, um, and even in some of my family members' eyes, there was no room for me in the world. And while I was yet in my mother's womb, there was a decision made to end my life. But God said no. He saw redemptive value. And I stand today before you in that grace and in that mercy and know that I am a product of the creator. It's his breath that is in me. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. He's good. He's merciful. And he sees beyond our faults. I'm excited about the word he gave me today. It was something new to me. It's something I discovered in the scripture. And I pray that it will bless you and open your eyes. I went with the youth a couple of weeks ago to the ark And I saw a magnificent structure, but beyond the structure, I saw a magnificent God, a big God, an awesome God. We went to a lecture, and the gentleman who was sharing, one of the things that impacted me, he said a lot. It was a lot to take in, but one of the things he said that impressed me and had an impact on me was about the flood when God decided that man's sin was so great and he wanted to bring destruction to the world, one of the things this gentleman said was that the chances of a flood happening, and you know, there are evolutionists today who would say that flood never happened, but it did. He said, and I'm just going to demonstrate, I'm going to show you a movement that he showed us. He said all it took was this slight movement to cause the plates of the earth to shift and let loose. Our God is like that. All it takes is one small shift. And I believe that the church is in a place of shifting. 
and the world's going to see how great, how big, and how awesome our God is. Hallelujah. Our God is. I want to acknowledge my pastors, Pastor Dave and Ina. Thank you for trusting me with this opportunity to minister the word. I love you. And I thank God for seeing miracle walking. (laughs) Hallelujah. Also want to thank those of you who have prayed for today. I feel your strength, and I appreciate it so much. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your presence. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to flow freely in this place, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, you get the glory, and bring us to the place where your glory is seen and demonstrated in this your creation. Thank you for what you're doing in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. In your outline, it says, in the scripture, and we're going to look at Matthew 19, 16 through 30. They put that up. It talks about a young man. Some translations say he was a rich man. It says, now behold, one came and said to him, to Jesus, good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter into life, Keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give it to give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, 
It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard this, or heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. (laughs) Then Peter answered and said to him, See what we have left all and fought all, excuse me, see we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So he's looking for a reward. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you will have followed me, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or land, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. In this scripture, We read about this man, and like I said, some say he was a rich man, and it suggests that maybe he was. He had great possessions. Coming to Jesus, asking, what deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus' response, what I'd like to suggest to you today is that it's not just eternal life, but it's also about eternal living. You know, how do we live? Because it wasn't talking about a particular time, but rather living from the access of the Lord Jesus Christ coming into our lives. We are living eternal lives right now. (laughs) Um, I believe this question came about because they observed the life of Jesus. What made this man be able to live the kind of life he was living. It says he healed the sick. The lame walked. Blind eyes were open. I think about that woman with the issue of blood. She was healed. What made him be able to do that? What was different about him? They saw something in him that was attractive that they realized they did not have. And they were saying, what do I need to have that kind of life, to be that kind of man. We know from the scripture that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a woman. We're told he was fully man and fully God. I also believe that in the book of Isaiah it says, he himself, Jesus, he bore our griefs, carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Let's look at Luke chapter 4. I'm going somewhere with this, so just, just bear with me, okay? It'll, it'll begin to make sense in a bit. In Luke chapter 4, Um, 
before I get there. This is an interesting scripture. Before we read this, I want to tell you a little bit about the outline here. In A, it says, we see Jesus um, challenged in the wilderness before we, this scripture comes. So in verse 1 through 4, in the wilderness, um, Jesus was tested. And he was tested with hunger. That's your fill-in there. On the high mountain, he was tested again. And that test was for the kingdoms of the world. That's your fill-in. Or worship. You know, you could put in parentheses worship. The enemy wanted Jesus to worship him. And then, see, he was tested on a high mountain. Uh, um, I mean, uh, yes, see, on a high pinnacle of the temple. The enemy, if you read that scripture, it says the enemy took him to the pinnacle, the high point in the temple, and said, you know, throw yourself off, right? Okay? And then he misquoted Psalms 91, one that we use, God left us for our protection. He misquoted that scripture to Jesus. So he was tempted with suicide. One of the things we know is that the enemy has nothing new. Nothing new. He does the same thing then that he does now to us. All right? Let's read Luke 4, 16. Okay. Let's look at um, Luke 4, 16 through 20. This is after the temptation. Could you go to 16? Yes. Jesus then comes to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up and read. We all know this scripture. Can you keep going? And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. It says, then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant. And sat down. And it says the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. They were trying to figure out who is this man? You know, what is it about him that makes him so different? Let's go on to number three. We know from the Bible that the devil came against God. And two examples in the Bible are in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. And I just put in parentheses, you can read that for homework. The result of that, he cha- his challenge to God, he was thrown out of heaven. Then we see him in Luke coming against Jesus. Well, you know what? He came against Adam, God's created. He's after us. 
He does not want us to be what God has created us to be. And that's the point of what I want to get to today. So, um, in the fill-in for number three, Satan should not, when it says he, it means Satan should have been no match for God's created. But in Romans 5, 12, and 19, can we go there? It says, therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Go, okay. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is the type of him who was to come. <clears throat> but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one's, one man's offense many died, of course, in this case, Adam, much more the grace of God and the gift of God, the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Listen to that. We know this, but we need to get it in our heart. It says the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came for many offenses resulted in justification. <clears throat> for, for if by the one man's offense death reigned through one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. And that's where I want us to focus from here, okay? In, in 1 Timothy 2, 13 and 14, we learn that Adam was not deceived. The scripture tells us that. It says, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But what he did, he abdicated his responsibility. I think it's awesome today that the men we're leading praise and worship. I think there's something, I mean, God, he loves us all, but I think he loves to hear the voices of his sons worshiping him, praising him. I really do. There's something about that. And there was a period of time when we were worshiping and it was so sweet, so rich. And I think it was because it was being led by the men. God created the man first. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. In the creative order, he, he created the man for himself. He created the woman for the man. But he I'm going to show you in the scripture something that I believe that kind of opened my eyes. In Genesis chapter 1, it says man was given a mandate. Um, he, he was told... First of all, he was made in the image of God. And in Genesis 1, when God made, this is something that, that really stood out to me. When he made man, I think when I read that before, I always thought that he made a man. 
you know, like a physical man. But that's not what the scripture says. He said he made man in his image. Well, what's God's image? It's spirit. He's spirit. God is spirit. So I believe that Adam initially was a spirit man. He didn't have flesh because we only hear about that in Genesis chapter 2. When he formed man out of the dust of the earth and he breathed into him the breath of life. So Adam did not have flesh in the beginning. He was a spirit man. Okay? He could walk and talk. He knew the thoughts of God. He had all the creative power of God. God told him, I want you to multiply, replenish, care for the earth. He gave him a mandate to do that. You know, one of the things that they said to us at the ark, too, is that before the flood, the animals were not afraid of man. There was no fear. They walked together. They could commune with each other. So, this is just a little, little aside. How many of you have pets? How many of you have trained your pets to do little things? Like sit, shake, bark. I think somebody has a cat that, what does your cat do? He rolls over for yogurt. And we, <laughs> and we think, boy, we've done something. We've trained our animal. But do you know when Adam was in the garden in Genesis 1, it says, I'm, I'm, yeah, in, I think it's Genesis 1, it says that God brought the animals to Adam to name them. If you name something, you know what its purpose is. You know its nature. You know everything about it. So we as men and women should not be surprised that we can train an animal because we are the image of the creator, God, who has the ability and the knowledge. One of the things I think about is that with, with Adam, and I thought about this with Noah, too, in the ark. God had to give him the knowledge to build that ark. And I don't know, I mean, I don't know if he, I don't think he had a blue, blueprint. How did he know to do it? How did he know how big to make it? What I understand is that that ark was able to house those eight individuals and about 7,000 reptiles, mammals, the, you know, for, we think the flood was 40 days, but they were in that ark 100 or more days. And what I saw with my eyes, and I mean, I know it's, you know, man's interpretation, but they had a system of ca for the cages. I mean, they even had little cages for mice and rats and spiders and snakes and the larger animals. They had a system for, for housing them, feeding them, watering them, getting rid of their waste, all of this on the ark. We saw a room that was like, a couple rooms that were like kitchens. They were growing their own food on the ark. 
Only God could give man wisdom to know how to do that. And in that spirit man form, Adam knew things because he was in the very image and likeness of the creator. He was the essence of the creator. And what I want to tell you today is that there was, a, there was a, a regeneration in Adam when God put flesh on him. When he formed him from the dust of the earth, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, he was regenerated. He became like we are. But he fell. Right? What I want to suggest to you today is that we are born, and we read the scripture. When we come into the earth, we are like our father, Adam, until Jesus comes. And then there's a regenerative process where he takes this natural body and he breathes into us his life, and we become the very essence of the creator. That's who we are today. And the world and the enemy has hollowed us out and dumbed us down so much that we don't know who we are. We have the ability to think God's thoughts. We have the ability to know him. In your outline, I've gotten ahead of myself, but he gave us spirit, he gave us soul, he gave us, and which means he gives us cognitive ability to think of all the other creation. We are the only created being that has the essence of God on the inside of us. You know, he says we have this precious Holy Spirit in us, this life of God, this breath of God in us. Um, I've lost my place, so let me find it so I can give you the fill-ins, because I know that's important. And I worked on this fill-in. <laughs> okay, so let me go back to number 3B. Uh, okay, so uh, Adam was not deceived, and you just write, he abdicated responsibility. And, and this is interesting. Adam's behavior determine death entering the realm of his responsibility. So he was, God gave him complete authority and dominion, but his decision to abdicate his responsibility brought death into the world. Um, like I said in, in number four, in Genesis 1, when God, when he created man, and I believe it was spirit man, he created man and woman. The scripture says he blessed them. He created both male and female. They were together. They had the same um, identity and essence of the creator, but they had different responsibility. You know, we, we have the same life in us but we each have different responsibility or different giftings, different callings. But we're one body. Okay? He told Adam at that time to be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue, and have dominion over the earth. 
Then, as I said earlier, in number five, that creative order, where he actually breathed into him the breath of life. There, the three aspects are the spirit, and B, that fill in first one, the soul with cognitive abilities, and choice. He gave us choice. He says, "Choose ye this day, who you're gonna serve." Because, you know, we're all going to, unless God comes before we close our eyes in death, we're going to spend eternity somewhere. You're going to live forever somewhere. But you get to choose. He gave us the right to choose and the ability to choose. He didn't give any other created being choice. Not even the angels have choice. He told Adam, this is 5C, that he was to dress and keep the garden. And I think the tendency when we look at something like that, I think of my attempts to have a garden. I am not a farmer. I'm not even a gardener. I never saw so many weeds and vines. I was so happy with the things that grew. But you have to work a garden. He, He wasn't talking about that. He was talking about... The, the dressing and keeping, I believe, was the God said. You, you, you have authority. God said, dress it, keep it. This is yours. And it'll stay the way you want it to be. When we think about a garden today, those of you who garden, I remember, I'll tell you, when I was probably about nine years old, I planted a watermelon seed, and I got a long, long, long vine. My dad went to the farmer's market, and he bought a watermelon, and he put it at the end of the vine. I thought I grew a watermelon, (laughs) but I didn't. (laughs) Several years ago, I tried to do a little, like, um, what do you call it, a rise garden in my yard. I got tomatoes and cucumbers, and I got um, some squash. Um, What else did I get? Um, And it was really, it was nice, but it was a lot of work. I don't think Adam had to work in his garden. He just had to have dominion over it because God said it. He's given us now dominion over the earth. And he's saying, dress it and keep it. And how do we do that? By populating it with the word, bringing other people into the kingdom, sharing our knowledge of who he is. Because if we know that within us, we have the essence of the creator on the inside, and we can do all things. You know, maybe you know that. I say, praise God. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're limiting yourself and your ability because, you know, we can know Christ. We can be born again, but not operating in the fullness of who he wants us to be and what he wants us to do. In E, in that number five, it says, the ability of man on earth 
is based on who we are in Christ. And we have to know that without a shadow of doubt. And you know, I put that there, the redemptive work continues. And I've already stated that point. But let's look at um, Colossians 3.10. And have, we have, we put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. We put on the new man. Remember I said Adam had that, he was a spirit man, and then he became a physical man? We're a physical man who has become a spirit man. Amen? Amen. That's the regeneration. And it's a process. He's continually doing that. He's continually perfecting us and bringing us into that status of the new man. Just like Jesus in the earth. And he says to us the same thing he said to Adam. Dominate it. Keep it. Dress it. Multiply it. Replenish it. Not with stuff, people, but with us. With himself. Because we are the essence of who he is. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 2. It says, for I determined not, this is um, Paul talking, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do we have um, verse? Um, okay. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. I think we could put that one on our refrigerator. But we speak the wisdom of God in, the, in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory. And I believe that's Christ in us, the hope of glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it's written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Hallelujah. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us. Hallelujah. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but by the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. And that's what I said. Sometimes we can be saved, but we have not embraced the essence of who we are in Christ. For they are foolishness to him, nor can they know them because they are spiritually discerned. 
But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Church, we have the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord. Amen. I want you to stand with me now if you can. And there's a declaration on the bottom of your handout. Let's speak that together. Hallelujah.